Hello and welcome to another episode of Pakistanomy. The pandemic has been a major accelerant and one of the key things that it has accelerated is how consumers around the world, including in Pakistan, are doing more and more of their shopping online. And the pandemic also brought to light the supply chain, logistics, infrastructure needs countries have around the world, the cold storage needs that countries have and need investment in. And the role e-commerce, frankly, has played in making sure that consumers can be safe at home while consuming the products that they need on an everyday basis. One such company trying to build the retail e-commerce supply chain infrastructure in Pakistan is 24-7. It is an online grocery platform based in Lahore, and its goal is to digitize and formalize Pakistan's fresh produce ecosystem and bring you quality fresh produce to your doorstep. I have the honor of having with me Gerard Shah, who is the co-founder and CEO of 24-7. He's a graduate from the University of Michigan and Arbor where he studied economics and political science and has been an entrepreneur based in Pakistan since 2003. Um, the 24-7 journey from what I have been able to find out and I'm interested in hearing Gerard's thoughts on it is his own understanding or his own problem that he faced where he could not find quality produce um, and also realized that you know, middlemen in the ecosystem, whether you look at Pakistan, it's also a perennial problem in India, um, take a lot of the value captured uh, or produced by the farmers and, and then give the consumer a product that often is subpar. Um, so Gerard is trying to solve that problem for millions of Pakistani consumers. Gerard, welcome to Pakistanomy. Assalamualaikum, Zaya. Pleasure to be here. Let's start with 24-7. I know you mentioned and I've mentioned that it was something you personally experienced and it gave you an idea about starting 24-7, but give the listener and share with us a bit more about 24-7, its philosophy and, and, and why did you start this uh, uh, startup? Uh, so basically, I always wanted to... Uh you know, do something on my own. I wanted to build something. And even, you know, uh, when I was in college, I was always, my intent was to return to Pakistan. And I came back, but at that stage, obviously I didn't have any idea about what to do or how to do it. You know, uh, I didn't, I hadn't gone to business school. So I got in a liberal arts education. Uh, so I was just, you know, trying out things, uh, one could even say meandering through my 20s. <laughs> um, so, I, I, so I became a consultant. I was part of a boutique consultancy firm in uh, Lahore. We were doing a lot of business development and uh, some financial consultancy. Um, and, you know, I had some land uh, very close to Lahore, probably less than an hour's drive. And I thought, you know, this is an asset and, you know, maybe I should be utilizing this in a better way, you know, maximizing cash flows from this particular asset. Uh, and it's so close by that I could do something and then, you know, I could be this weekend, it could be my weekend thing. So I, you know, just did a little bit of research and I wanted to do something progressive in farming. So I said, okay, why not uh, go for this tunnel farming for off season produce? So I ended up, uh, you know, putting up this farm, pilot phase around two acres or so. Uh, got the real, you know, good quality inputs, got a very good team in place and everything went off fantastically. Uh, you know, we had yields coming in five or six times normal. So you have our tomatoes, our uh, karelas and bindis. So you know, they were, they looked good and, and they were in, you know, uh, much, much uh, larger quantity than usual. And the best thing was we were in the off season. So, you know, economics may we had studied this supply demand sets the price. Um, and uh, one would imagine that, you know, if uh, you're bringing in supply at a time when there's limited supply, uh, you know, as a supplier, you'd fetch a, a fairly good price. Um, and, and, and this equation was working on the retail side of things in, in Pakistan, obviously, like, for instance, these tomatoes or these uh, uh, karelas were selling for quite a high price in the retail sector. But uh, when a I, high enough price to put the finance minister on the spot occasionally when he would oh, not know the price of tomatoes, right? Clearly. Uh, absolutely. It's a, it's a huge thing. And it happens every December, November. 
uh, you go through the cycle where tomatoes go through the roof because uh, and, and we had this issue last year as well and because of trade being closed with india uh, the supply really got distorted this time around um, so uh, so i you know i saw this uh, i was very happy i thought you know this was the business i have been looking for and this was my calling and i'm i'm going to set up this corporate entity and i would you know just take on lease all this land put up tunnel farms become this tunnel farming expert provide tunnels to people and expertise and inputs and all of that and in 2 3 years time i'll do an ipo and i'm i'll be set so that was my dream scenario all figured out uh and then uh, i got you know the harvest starts coming in i start going to the mandi and uh, my produce is going there and all of a sudden i'm like seeing these auctions happen and you know i am getting 5 rupees or 7 rupees a kilo for something that's selling for 100 rupees a kilo just 10 kilometers away uh, uh, for retail and it was you know this rude awakening in more ways than one uh, and uh, the more you know i would look at it i just couldn't understand how i was getting the same price for a grade produce was getting the same price as what they call d grade so there was no grading premium there was there was absolutely nothing it was all it's all kind of fixed and rigged the auction system and it's quite interesting um and it's, it's i mean it's the same as the case in india as well i mean they they uh, for over 100 years the, the rti is the one controlling all of this and now the rti is also indispensable in the manner that they're also the bank uh, in the whole system they provide the liquidity provide the credit so and more, i would add that they they're also the they're also the political force on the ground because yes, of yes. the the money that they the value they capture and the financial services they provide to yes, the community itself no it's 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 a big chunk of your informal economy and a lot of cash is exchanged and uh, these these seats are very very coveted and there's a political angle to all the agricultural marketing committees that are formed uh after every you know after every new government comes in the committee gets changed and uh, you can imagine why <laughs> uh but things remain the same uh, the committee gets changed but the the way things work remains the same so uh so the more i thought about it you know it really uh, kind of bothered me and you know hum bachpan se we've been hearing this that you know we've got this agrarian economy or agrarian backbone <laughs> and we have such a huge labor force that majority of it is in agriculture and our productivity is not going anywhere and you know our incomes are not going anywhere and as a percentage of gdp it's not really that productive and at least in this particular aspect of agriculture i could see why that was happening because the way the markets are set up there's a classic case of market failure uh, there is no incentive for a farmer to grow better produce uh there is no incentive for a farmer to invest in better seeds because they don't get any pricing for that they don't get a premium for growing a better produce or a better quality produce or uh, or using better farming practices for instance using less pesticides or more pesticides i mean it, there's no there's no pricing incentive right now and economic incentive without having that 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 creates a huge issue and i i mean for me it was a thing that maybe if we could do something and not eliminate the arti which is impossible but maybe create an alternate marketing channel or a distribution channel because for me it was a marketing issue this where we could connect the farmers directly to the consumers and in the long run also create for consumers this huge benefit of better quality products price stability and knowing where their produce is coming from which is totally absent in pakistan right now i mean most of the world has traceability and all these things but we don't have those things we don't have certifications so i thought that if if one could do this for the local market right if we were to bring in traceability and certifications for the local market we would automatically open up the export channel as well we're sitting at the doorstep of gcc and most of their produce comes from spain and italy and tunisia and all these places because we don't have certifications so we have certifications in the kinu market or the mango for instance markets but for the vast majority of our produce we don't and then look at cpec i mean we have chinese trucks coming in filled with gadgets and stuff and they go back empty 
And if we were to somehow get these certifications, we could easily get into their food supply chain as well. So the CPEC thing came much later, but at that stage, I thought, you know, I mean, there were so many possibilities and it would solve so many problems for so many farmers, consumers, and also be a business opportunity. And it's a hard thing to do because it's perishable. Um, it's not probably as a sexy a thing. Uh, you know, people would say, "You kya tum zamidari karo ya." So, so, Michigan beja, Michigan beja, or Pakistan aage tum wapis tomatoes or sabziyo ka. Printing bechna shuru kar di. Exactly, exactly. So, so not not very uh, sexy. Uh, so, so, so that's basically how you know I kind of got started on this uh, journey, and you know, along the way, there are many many iterations and uh, ups and downs and lots of learnings, uh, lots of hard knocks. Um, but I guess the underlying thing was because it was a personal pain point feel ki, uh, so it, it became, there were, there, there, an underlying mission kind of developed, uh, which helped, you know, things, it, it helped me to stay the course, so to speak, uh, because that, there was a big picture. It was not about, how am I going to make a quick buck? How am I going to double my money in two years? As is the case with Pakistani enterprise, mostly our payback period is uh, real estate. Hai, yeah, you know, what can I do to double my money in like two years? So this was bigger than that. And um, obviously, very, very scary journey as well. But, uh, but yeah, so far it's been fantastic. Uh, loving every minute of it um learned lots and you know long way to go so i think there's a lot to unpack here and and i want to get back to some of the very important points you made that have a macro sort of discussion element to them but before i do that i want to just dive deep into just 24 7 itself it's currently as i understand based in lahore um you've had a good funding round last year and i want to start there in terms of you know, you raised these funds, first of all, like, what was that experience like, like in terms of telling investors what the opportunity is in Pakistan, when it comes to the food supply chain and innovation in it? And what was their receptivity to even, you know, think about something like this, because it is something that has caught on a lot of investors eyes in a market like India or Indonesia or parts of Latin America and Mexico. Um, Pakistan is not really on the radar in the same length, even though its startup ecosystem has come up. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. And off of that, like now that you've had this funding round, like what are, what, where is your focus in terms of investing? Uh, where the startup goes to catalyze growth, because there are so many things where you could invest to deal with this problem, right? But was curious to hear your priorities in terms of the short term. Sure. So in terms of fundraising, uh, I think it's uh, actually, you know, someone was telling me an uh, investor, one of our mentors, actually, you know, the my role is now much more of a fundraiser in chief than a builder of business. Uh, you know, that, that now you, uh, I'm, I'm very, very, um, you know, humbled and thankful that I've been able to get an excellent, amazing team on board and our core team is really strong and, and they've really helped push things along and ease the pressure on me. But fundraising is not fun. Uh, and especially when we were, I mean, I've been doing it. I mean, we still are doing it. But two years, three years back, it was really not the most ideal scenario. Uh, Pakistan somehow, I mean, not somehow, we probably know why. But the interesting thing and frustrating thing was that we were this market, population, demographics, everything. And we have India on one side and we had the GCC on the other. And you had VC money flowing into both regions. And VC money has been flowing into India since 2010. Billions of dollars have gone in crazy valuations. And then GCC, you know, Dubai, Saudi, all these countries, a lot of, uh, even their own money was going in, but a lot of external money coming in. And Pakistan was in this black hole where we had companies trying to raise money, but they were struggling. And then we had some local VCs come up and it even took them quite a bit of time to raise their own funds. 
So that was very challenging. Uh, it took us a very long time to get our first external funding. And even then we um, got it from one of the, you know, we, we were able to, we were very lucky to get a local family office to back us. Uh, but in terms of the international thing coming on, I think 2020 kind of accelerated that, 2019, the Kareem exit helped uh, bring uh, a lot of focus on uh, Pakistan and the Kareem mafia, you could say. So the founders who started businesses who were Kareem alum, so they were able to attract some money, especially from the Gulf. And then uh, obviously, uh, I think uh, people like Atif Awan and others who were able to get some Silicon Valley money into Pakistan, that, that changed things a lot, 2019, 2020. So now you, you see a much better scenario for founders and you, you see the supply of capital being much more than it was two years back or a year back. So that, that has definitely changed. Uh, but it's not as, it, we still haven't reached that stage where Indonesia was four or five years back or India was 10 years back. We still are still not on the radar of the main funds or the bigger funds. Uh, so, so there is that supply issue and it, but I think it's going to get solved very, very quickly because these things move very quickly and there's so much capital, so much money being printed by central banks everywhere uh, that, uh, you know, some of it is going to come here. Uh, because well, I, I have argued that, that, you know, this is the second reach for yield that has happened since 2007. The first global reach for yield, in a way, yeah. Pakistan was able to finance much of its power and infrastructure investments because bonds yeah. rates were low. They messed it up in different ways in terms of domestic policy and economic reforms. That's a longer tangential issue we won't get yeah. to. But I think now there's a second global reach for yield and that money, I think, has gotten smarter as well because it's going into innovation. And if you right. can make a case for innovation, whether you're Pakistan, Bangladesh or Mexico, um, you can attract those funds, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think well, so the game changer for us that has been uh, this, uh, we've been able to uh, get backing from a US-based VC fund, SOSP. And that has really given us this, um, you can say this um, runway to meet the international capital. Uh, because now we also have that credibility, right? It's not like you know, it's, uh, we're uh, someone pitching out from the cold or coming in from the cold. We, we actually have someone backing us. Uh, and, and that's been a game changer. And, and frankly, it's also been um, the amount of uh, learnings that we've had uh, in the last couple of you know months it's been on a scale been exponential uh, so we've been learning a lot as well um, so so i think the uh, the capital scene i think is getting better and uh, uh, the good quality um, startups will be able to with you know having good teams uh, and good stories they they should be able to uh, get some funding. Obviously, luck will be involved how, knowing the right people or getting to meet the right people at the right time. That element will always be there. Um, in terms of what we are planning to do, we are so we uh, are still not in the situation where India was at, for instance. Like, for if we were to look at a company in India, like a company like Big Basket, that would be some a company that we would say, you know, we would be in a way emulating. Uh, obviously adapting to our own uh, environment, but also our own uh, journey. But Big Basket, for instance, has raised almost a billion dollars in the last 10, 10 uh, years. So they've been able to deploy capital and um, build th things that obviously we can't even think of right now. So we have a very focused approach, very uh, sequential approach. We don't want to do things where we are prematurely expanding or uh, you know, so we, we are now a stickler for that, uh, which means that we will focus on certain areas uh, geographically as well as priority areas, uh, grow them very, very quickly. And then sequentially, you know, uh, as we go along in our journey and we're raising funds, we should be then, you know, we, we should expand on those geographically as well as uh, product wise. Uh, so for the next few months, where our focus will remain on Lahore because we have not even um, fully deployed 
uh, I mean, even if we haven't even like touched the surface in terms of the supply chain and logistics infrastructure that uh, a city like Lahore would need. So our focus would be to have that deployed, our, our uh, business model really cranking on, uh, I won't say optimized because that would be again premature, but at least going in a very clear direction, which uh, a little bit, a few more months of data would validate that. Uh, and then once that's done, then we it's just replication. Uh, we don't think that there's a race right now. There shouldn't be a race of where everyone in this space is going to be in like in six months. Rather, it should be where we would want to be in three years time to five years time. And if we keep that picture in mind and our, our focus uh, accordingly, I think that will help us and our investors. Uh, you know, uh, because we won't be burning through money like uh, some others have or are. <laughs> well, I mean, even big basket, right? Like India's food retail ecosystem has raised a lot of money, but continues to make losses, which has, you know, your whole point, like about looking at the chadar or kitna phelana, they've struggled with that as well. Right now, there's a whole legal case going on with Future Retail Group and the Amazon and, and Reliance and Future Retail Group may go belly up because it has too much losses etc um so i think yes sustainability should be at the heart of the goal as well because you want to the, the industry to be sustainable long term three four five years from now um you mentioned a couple of times like significant learning so just share with us like what have those learnings been about and more importantly like one of the questions i had as you were discussing this was like when you started to where you are now in 2021 what are some assumptions that you had that have been tested and maybe you know falsified or you've had to evolve your thinking around as you've sort of grown in in lahore so um well i mean i would say uh, when we started off uh, the assumptions then and uh, now there would be a there's been a, a quite a long evolution uh, but I think one of the major learnings is that, you know, um, there's not a one size fits all solution. Uh, I, I mean, this is not a, uh, I think this, it's not very like profound, but what I'm trying to say is that, you know, um, sometimes, especially in e-commerce and, um, and one sees this around the world, but also in Pakistan, you, you, you tend to copy paste a lot of um, models and, um, and we we have seen that you know there especially in our grocery and fresh food segment there are a lot of psychologies at play and you have to really address those psychologies and then accordingly come up with products and service offerings that you know uh, bring up those value propositions so this was obviously a learning phase uh, we there was a lot of learning it's still ongoing every day we get obviously data and the more data one gets the more uh, you know, your validation or your hypothesis gets tested accordingly. But with, um, so sometimes we would, you know, initially it would be like, okay, I think where this is what the market is, so let's do this. Uh, and then over time, the learning was, no, this is not the, what the market is. You have to frame it like an experiment and then let's go test this and then see, and then if it's working, double down, if it's not, discard. Uh, so think, I think this was one of the major uh, learnings during uh, this journey was that, you know, you can't hold fast to your assumption and make it an ego thing. So you have to look at it from a very, uh, so the lean startup way, you would say, so you, you A-B test things, uh, you do trial, uh, trial balloons and see how it goes. And the best thing with tech enabled uh, enterprises is that then you can actually see data. Uh, this is not guesswork then. Um, so I think this is a major learning and this is something that, you know, more and more of us should embrace, um, especially in businesses and startups. Um, then the other thing was, again, it's sometimes, you know, you, you really have to dig deep. Uh, you have to, um, I don't know about learning, but I think about pressures, the way society is. Our society is not very entrepreneurial or risk-taking. Uh, we don't encourage risk-taking like that. Um, we, like earlier I alluded to, you know, maybe with our investment thesis is usually, okay, let's invest in a plot. Or maybe the most risky thing people would do is, you know, invest in the stock exchange. 
but again, you also see people like Double Shah in Pakistan who go around and people are giving him twenty thousand and fifty thousand in their lifetime savings for double. So, so that that's also there. But my point is that there was a lot of pressure, and you know, people say, "Oh, why would you be doing this? And why not just do your consulting work, or you know, go work for a bank, or do whatever?" And 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 these societal pressures or pressures from family. So being able to withstand that also uh, was something that was, you know, um, evolutionary process. And learning how to do that will be a constant learning. Um, so, so I would say, I mean, lots of, and, and learning how to, you know, like stay the course. And when things got really, things would get really dark and lonely. Uh, obviously, sometimes, you know, as a founder, you are in a very tricky situation and even your co-founders, I mean, you can talk to them, but it's uh, like if you've got everything on the line and, you know, skin the game and all those things, then it can get lonely uh, sometimes. So learning how to cope with that. But I think big picture, just keeping your eye on the prize, that, that, that helps. Um, and every new you know every day is a new day type thing so taking it a day at a time these are some of the learnings um, and not being overly optimistic i mean every businessman is every entrepreneur fundamentally is optimistic but uh, bringing in realism uh, I, I, and again that comes with the testing so if, if someone comes up with this concept then you're always questioning yourself and and trying to validate it with data yeah, I think the the innovating and trying new things is is critical, right? It's one of the things not only for a market as it matures to try new things because it hasn't been done before, but also to stay one curve ahead of what could potentially be your competition, right? And to out innovate your own self is critical because otherwise someone else may do that. But I think your point around the societal pressures is actually a very important one because I would argue that even now that you've had a good funding round in 2020, the money that you've put in, in the short term, if you had put that into a barrier plot or a file or some new real estate development project, in rupee terms, you probably could have had a higher return in the short term, probably maybe not in the long term, but maybe some would argue that you can do that in the long term too. Um, yeah. But that that is a <laughs> fundamental issue with the economy, right? That it is incentivizing regular investments and giving very high returns in unproductive investments that frankly are not contributing anything to society. Um, but it is something that the way things are structured means that it is very hard for someone like you or another entrepreneur to even make the case for why they want to do something because the alternative is unproductive, easy and high returns. Right. Yeah. And, and it's a structural problem there. It's, it's, a, it's definitely a structural problem and it's, it's institutionalizing this structural problem by making it a mindset problem as well, because then the horizon is just plots and that's it. Um, and, you know, uh, it's a, uh, so one would hope that, you know, uh, a few success stories that come out like, so Kareem is obviously a huge success story, but, uh, you know, more and more successful stories like a Baikia and others, as you get these in the ecosystem, this starts to become, because there's also a lot of Bhirchal, uh, herd mentality in our, uh, globally, but in our society, especially, if someone's, uh, you know, making a, you know, been a successful person in a certain field, everyone starts doing that. You know, if, some, if someone, whoever opened up the first spinning mill, uh, every, you know, all the other uh, textile people said, we have to open up a spinning mill. So that's how uh, the thing goes. So hopefully we get a few successful cases here. And, and if that happens, uh, which it will, given our market and uh, our demographics and just the way the world has gone, I think we should see a lot of local capital start pouring into the ecosystem, uh, a lot more. Uh, a lot of these family offices, these conglomerates, a lot of them are still sitting on the sidelines. They're not investing in money and, and a lot of them are not used to investing in others. They only, they're used to just doing everything on their own. Uh, so we need that, um, that Tata consultancy type, you know, Tata group, Tata is probably one of the largest investors in the Indian startup ecosystem in the last 10 years. And obviously Reliance uh, is now trying to do everything on their own. But the point is even 
some of the corporates over here will start trying to do you know they'll try to emulate reliance as well maybe an ishaat or a, you know the dauds or you know someone else oh, i think the the herd mentality point is very valid i i remember i think it was scott galloway who you know last year was ranting about how america has become and his his argument was the world because america apparently is the world but i sort of disagreed with him on this was that we have the idolatry of the innovator ongoing right or the entrepreneur and he his point was like it's a bad thing because the elon musk of the world and everyone wants to be an elon or a jeff bezos or a mark zuckerberg and that's not good and as like in societies like ours in pakistan it's actually a good thing because it inspires people younger people to go take risks and innovate and try to change the structures of the economy because the last thing a country like pakistan needs that is young is a risk averse generation coming up right because we need risk takers to say well if i have arthis trying to you know give me 7 rupees a kilo for something that's retailing 100 rupees clearly there's something wrong let me go innovate that this british institution that is there since colonial times and put it to bed and we're seeing this in india right where a government tries to do reforms botches it in terms of how it communicates and pushes it through yeah, but yeah, fundamentally yeah. <laughs> if you read the farm acts they're good right yeah. someone like you who's in the business will understand and say that that is actually what is needed to solve the agricultural problem in india and in pakistan um, but it's very hard to do and the moment you do it you have protesters coming out that will probably in lockdown lahore and islamabad if that were to happen in pakistan yeah yeah and that's why that's why we're trying to keep our head down and uh, not get the government involved in any way and uh, just come up with a uh, bottoms up private sector uh, solution for this <laughs> but, exactly but, go go yeah. go below the radar and and scale up from there exactly no but you see that's the, the and, and the fantastic thing about pakistan is that there's so much low hanging fruit uh, that it just requires people taking an initiative and and everyone in their daily lives you know uh, so you have these people who've come up with you know these clean drinking water uh, type things uh, uet um, graduates engineering students and they've come up with this product that can uh, clean um, sewage water into drinkable water you just put it in and the output is drinkable water and obviously they did this without even having any funding they just applied themselves they had this problem at their house obviously they were not getting good water they were getting stomach ailments and what not and they decided to do something on their own not wait for a water purification plant to be put in by the local government or the provincial government and now obviously they've gotten some funding and now they're trying to make it into a scalable thing where you know the the, the issue is that you put in the water but it takes a long time for it to get filtered so they are coming up with technologies where they could do it quickly so 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 much that can be done and it's just about being that letting go of the risk averse nature having that social societal pressures calm down not everyone can be a doctor or an engineer okay everyone should be an engineer i i encourage that uh, <laughs> uh, but 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 uh, and doctors of course after the pandemic but uh, but you know going into the banks and multinationals ki naukri ya sarkari naukri sarkari naukri to bilkul it should be the it should be vaise we can't afford it as a government uh, i mean fiscally and uh, this thing about you know sarkari naukri hamare jo culture mein and then wo pension milegi aur puri zindagi paise honge so again we i mean bankrupt even if we weren't i mean that's not a that's not what you know i mean some people should go in public service obviously and but it should not be about money or anything it should be about public service for them but the, my point is that absolutely we need this cultural shift and hopefully you know uh, in the last few years we've seen a lot of our homegrown startups emerging and these uh, so financing rounds are not uh, you know success key barometer at all so i think one also needs to uh, somehow nip this in the bud because we see a lot of uh, celebrations happening about these rounds and all of that but that's that's just that just means the work is getting started this is not the, the so for any entrepreneur it should not be the goal should not be oh i've raised money and then i retire <laughs> or something if you've raised money then you've got to work like even more to you, you know, have to uh, invest it you have to invest it and you have to you have to make a return on it uh, and you know you have to and you have to give it your all uh, and because at the end of the day you everyone should be and that's what any entrepreneur should look at what are they doing why are they doing it 
there needs to the why needs to be very important it shouldn't be oh i'm in it to just make money obviously i'm not saying you do something for charity but try to find something that you can be passionate about and and i think more often than not something that you would care deeply about would be if if you've experienced a pain point or you can identify a pain something painful and if you try to solve that you will you know be more passionate about solving that and also you will hopefully also monetize that uh, solution so speaking of culture like one of the things that you often hear is like the pakistani consumer is not super mature so the things that you're trying to do higher quality produce commanding a premium traceability and sort of where is the food coming from what's gone in it it's not really there um what has your experience been like in terms of the, the consumer side of it uh in terms of not only educating them but their appetite or the level of desire that they have for something like a quality product coming to their home that they that they actually want to buy at pay a premium for um is there really a demand for it or are the naysayers right in terms of saying look the pakistani consumers like doesn't really care about these things i would argue it's not that because i've seen it myself even in a karachi where people are discerning they know good quality produce from bad quality produce even when they consume it at a lower price point um was just curious to hear what that the consumer side of the equation has been like for you so it's it's a, it's a very interesting point and i think uh, so i remember uh, when you know uh, a few years back we were one of the first ones to um, uh, bring organic produce uh, on our platform and i remember a customer calling us and saying what have you sent me i ordered organic and these are even smaller in size than the normal ones <laughs> <laughs> they're supposed to be <laughs> so they like i'm not going to be ordering organic again <laughs> you keep this organic to yourself uh, but uh, but yeah of course uh, over the over time uh, that discernment level has gone up quite a little uh, quite a lot uh, i would not say it has gone uh, on a mass level uh, but when it comes to quality obviously everyone is concerned about quality and and you know a big challenge for us was because in our culture because people have a quality issue at the back of the head they would go and buy their produce themselves you know standing in the most filthy conditions but they would go and pick out their own produce touch and feel and so a lot of people would say how are you going to solve for this because people like to touch and feel um and that's true um there even you know some people for them it's even therapeutic because on the way back from the office they'll just stop the car next to the ready wala and you know say okay give me a dozen kidneys and this and that um so these are these are real challenges uh, that we've had to we've experienced and we're trying to come to terms with so there are different things for us um you know and, and the customer frankly also uh, the, so there is a segment of society which will pay a premium for this now after this discernment but that i i still maintain is um, at the upper echelons of our society uh, from a income level point of view but um on the whole if you still need to you, you still need to have your rates which are competitive we believe that there is a solution that we can come up with which makes that happen because if we are disrupting but for that you then obviously need to get into the supply chain right uh which we are doing and that makes it more expensive and capital intensive slightly um initially but the whole point was to disrupt the value chain and the arti and the four five intermediaries and if you were to get two or three or if no, all of them out then obviously you can uh you can bring affordable so we're working on that um but um in terms of are people on the whole willing to pay for premium or convenience not really so even for delivery charges in america you can see a model like instacart work fantastically well it's <clears throat> gone up against amazon and it's surviving it's thriving uh post pandemic it's you know grown so many i don't know how many many fold it's grown uh but the underlying um uh thing for them in their business model is they're able to charge users for that convenience that they're giving uh in pakistan 
our consumers will tip our delivery riders, but they won't. They don't want us to charge a delivery fee. <laughs> so, Interesting. So, 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 so that and that makes the the uh, delivery part uh, challenging from an economics point of view, obviously. Um, but again, um, as the pandemic happened, obviously the user adoption accelerated, and a lot of people got introduced to e-commerce. And I think mindsets also slightly uh, have been altered on that front as well, where. I'm not saying people are going to pay like 200 rupees for a delivery, but they'll they'll pay maybe 50 rupees or maybe up to 100 rupees, because they literally give that change to the rider anyway, right? I mean, it's, because most of it is cash on delivery, so there is exchange of money happening, and they'll say, okay, you keep the change. So, uh, so, so, so these things are there um, in Pakistan in e-commerce. I think the Pakistani customer starts his journey off by thinking that this website is a crook. And he's already in a state of trepidation that even like just by being on this website, this session having started, somehow my money is getting ripped off. And, you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> I think the lack of trust is a, is a, not just an online thing, right? It's a psychological fear consumers have of everyone out there to, you know, to cheat them out of their money somehow. And unfortunately, it just comes back to the whole thing, the ethos that we have had where everyone's in it to make a quick buck and doubling their money. And we have unfortunately had on quite a big scale horror stories. Um, and you have, we have all these memes coming out, you know, ordered this online delivery, you know, this is the thing that got delivered. Picture, the picture versus reality. Picture versus reality. So these are big issues. And uh, for us, um, actually, this is something that we are, so we've made our share of mistakes, but what we are trying to do is uh, be very, very customer centric. I think this is, again, a long-term play. Uh, this is not something that benefits us in the short term. In fact, it probably hurts us a little bit financially, but it, it will it, it's helping us a lot with our retention and our customer loyalty. And we, for instance, now you know on on um, our produce, fresh produce, we are giving uh, we have a money back guarantee. So this is how we deal with that touch feel thing. Yeah, okay, if you've taking out a chance and going out on a limb and for you as a user, this is very risky because you're changing your behavior and you, normal behavior is that if you outsource buying of produce to your cook or someone else, the worst quality stuff comes and yet you're, and you're still paying the same price that you were paying earlier. Now we're saying, give that to us. We'll send it to you. So you're saving your petrol, your driver doesn't need to go around town. <laughs> Or you're, you know, you don't have to go around town in traffic. Uh, you spend that time with kids, go to the park, whatever. And we'll send you the produce. If you don't like the produce, we'll exchange it free of cost. If you don't want that, we'll give you your money back. Simple. Um, in a weird way, your competition then, or your, what you're trying to compete with and for is people's time in a way, right? And you're saying, give me give me a little bit more in terms of a delivery fee or something else. And I will give you back time and actually better quality product. And if you solve for that and psychologically appeal to that need of them having more time for whatever else they want to do and not get stuck in traffic or whatever, um, then you've hit the gold point. Is that a fair way of saying it? That, that, that's absolutely spot on. Uh, and you know, not only are we asking them to in fact, if one was to do a uh, economic cost benefit analysis, they're saving money because the uh, the fifty rupees that they're giving us for delivery, they're spending more on their petrol going from point A to B and B to A. Uh, in certain cases, I mean, obviously, if you're just going to the Kiryana store down the road, I mean, maybe you're going you're going on the cycle. But but in, even in terms of rates, uh, we'll be very competitive and you know discounts and all of that. So yeah, absolutely. That is it, it's 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 almost like a it's almost like a ease of mind and a lifestyle thing as well that we are freeing up your time, we're freeing up your attention. When grocery shopping at the end of the day is mostly a chore. It's not something. I mean, there are people who find it entertaining, and you know, families will go to the Carrefours and Metros, the big box stores, or you know, but. 
the novelty of that also wears off after a while. And then you've got COVID uh, that has happened. So there's that element as well. So, uh, but more than anything else, I mean, at the end of the day, it is about also having that quality uh, that we, the product, underlying product has to be of a certain quality. And the, the policy, the customer's uh, centricity needs to be such that if we mess up, which can happen, uh, we rectify it ASAP. Not three days or four days later, but like same day, same time, so that you can get your replacement and cook your meal and, you know, that's that. So have you thought about like doing things like within the app, like, you know, when the order is packaged, the picture goes to the customer saying, look, here's your produce. And when it's delivered, another picture is taken to make sure that you're keeping track of the visually keeping track of the quality of the product that's going out to someone's doorstep? Or how do you account for the fact that, you know, you want to make sure that from the distribution center all the way to the customer, like you spot the poor quality at the beginning, not at the end of the journey? So yeah, we're precisely doing something very, very similar to that. Um, we, um, we, we just WhatsApp a picture actually. So so the, the, and this is something that was a total um, hack, a, a, a total experiment that really worked amazingly well. Uh, we were having issues, especially um, post-COVID lockdown when, you know, our capacity got overwhelmed and we had a lot of orders coming in and, and then we had to expand and our team literally in like 20 days almost tripled and we got a lot of new people in who weren't really trained in the speed of things and with the lockdown as well things were pretty crazy in April and March so we were having a lot of issues with our uh, quality control things were getting rushed through and a lot of things were getting you know uh, slipped uh, through our protocols they were slipping by so what we did was for our internal thing we said okay uh, in our internal communications the through the process when the produce comes in, uh, when the, that's packaged, send like us the uh, management up, uh, like the founders uh, send us a picture of that for each order on our chat group. Um, and that created that, that deterrence and also that pause in the system where, okay, everyone then had to take a breath when it came to that, then they would make sure that, so, so our uh, complaints just uh, drastically fell. Uh, and, and I think, sorry to interrupt there, but I would say that WhatsApp answer, Mark Zuckerberg would be very happy to hear that because that's the whole idea with WhatsApp pay, right? Is like, if you're doing all this thing and WhatsApp to your customer and any case, might as well pay them through the WhatsApp channel as well. Yeah, no, WhatsApp is uh, in Pakistan, WhatsApp is king. So in India as well, uh, we don't have a WeChat. Um, so we have Telotalk and a couple of other platforms, but WhatsApp, WhatsApp and Facebook both are, I mean, tech adoption is uh, stratospheric levels. So it's, it's, it's uh, no match. <laughs> yeah. So you, you mentioned at the beginning, and I want to conclude our discussion, which has been fascinating with some, some advice for younger aspiring entrepreneurs. I know you mentioned that you didn't have an MBA, I didn't have one either. Um, I did economics and undergrad public policy and masters. And recently, I remember Elon Musk, he, he stokes this fire every once in a while. He did it again, <laughs> where he said, I would never hire an MBA because MBAs don't know anything. Um, and then I was reading when Jeff Bezos uh, stood down last week, someone posted an excerpt about how he in 98, 99, very early on in the Amazon years, uh, went to a Harvard class. And he was sitting as a founder. No one really knew that he was the founder. And they discussed Amazon as a business. And the conclusion out of that, when he introduced himself at the end of the case discussion, these Harvard MBAs told him that, you know, your business has no real sustainability behind it. You would, you would be well advised to sell your business operations to a Barnes and Noble. And that is the best exit opportunity you will probably have this here is Jeff Bezos now, right? So, you know, this stoke, this MBA versus something else fire gets stoked every once in a while. Um, so I was curious, 
to hear your thoughts about you know not being an MBA, being an entrepreneur, what that's been like, but also more importantly, as you <clears throat> look back at the years in entrepreneurship, um, what would you advise aspiring entrepreneurs who may come from various backgrounds, not necessarily a business one, in terms of the keys to success in, in this field? Yeah, that was a great question. And, I, you know, I think, uh, and I maybe alluded a little bit uh, earlier to this as well, that I think first and foremost, just make a list of things that one's not happy with in your own life. For instance, think about things that are painful for you. Uh, and, and, and then imagine that if you could do something about it and if you did have some resources about it what would you do and what would it look like and it does not need to be it could be a thing that's like a huge thing but it can also be a thing that is uh, a certain level that you know can probably become a 10 million dollar business right in in pakistan it doesn't have to be a billion dollar business so but there are so many things this so first i'd say just start from that so that you know finding your calling finding your passion no one knows what the i mean the only people who follow their true true passion or calling are these world class athletes and world class artists i would say right artists uh, singers and all of them so, you know so so and 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 the 99.9% of humanity can't do that so I, I i wish i could be like the next imran khan i wish i could have been like the all rounder for pakistan cricket team but i that's just i, I couldn't have been uh, so uh, i was going to say imran khan as in the prime minister or the cricketer but you answered that people uh, yeah so so yeah we obviously when we were growing up and uh, you know 92 we were in as uh, class 7th class 6th class yeah so uh so yeah i mean so what i'm saying is that you have so you have to really how you find your calling and passion is also something that's a work in progress you know 99.999% people are not born with this uh, calling uh, and you discover it and the way to discover it is again by having an open mind not ruling out things not so so first off cultural mindset do things that you know our previous generations thought maybe these things are not very dignified uh, but don't think of it like that think of it what, what as you're building something or solving something and what is the, what are the things that you're solving for uh, so find that absolutely don't i mean lots of people still are trying to do just copy paste and do a fast one don't don't do that um, too many people are doing that uh, find something that you like and then try to make it a little bit unique um, and then to try to think big picture and then nothing's for free i mean expecting that okay i've got an idea and now in pakistan at least i mean maybe in the silicon in silicon valley you can do this or in china even india you have an idea and people will fund you but maybe you, you can do that a little bit but put, you have to have skin in the game you need to have that stake and that so that that also comes from the passion but you also need to put in that time and effort and that sweat and if you can't put in the finances put in all the rest and be honest uh, don't don't try to wing it or you know i'm i'm going to just do this experiment for 6 months and i've been you know accepted by the national incubation center and I've, they've given me 10 lakh rupees and i'm going to spend it on my you know uh, howdy burgers or something so so do it uh like that and then um and then if you do find something then then persevere try to come up with a solution make it work somehow or the other till you can't uh, but try to at least give it so much that you won't have regrets uh and think oh what if i had just you know not quit at that stage uh, because you know, I mean, uh, we're talking about Elon Musk. Uh, look at, I mean, just look at him. He he was down to his last month's cash reserve um, in uh, 08, 09, I believe, with uh, Tesla and the SpaceX. And SpaceX was the, the, it was his last launch, and that was it. He was bankrupt after that. And his third and last launch that he had money for it the launch went uh, successfully 
uh, and he was able to raise more money and the rest yeah, of this. Yeah, Te- Tesla needed, Tesla was about to be bought out by the government because it initially was funded yeah. by the government and was short on cash and was about to... Exactly, exactly. So, 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 I mean, again, luck is there, all these things are there, but you also have to make your luck. So make your luck, be brave, take risks, but calculate risk by, if you've identified pain points, then already you're starting to calculate, you know, the, the risk calculation is happening because if this is a pain point for you, chances are it's a pain point for some people, you know, many other people as well. And then that means you can start to, if you can solve it, then there is a, there is a monetization play happening. So think about it in these terms and, uh, and then learn, keep an open mind. Don't think if you're an MBA or uh, Ivy League or whatever, don't think you, you know, you're the bomb now and you know everything. Be humble. I think biggest lesson for all entrepreneurs should be to be humble. And uh, and once they become an Elon Musk, then they can tweet wisdom out how many times they want to. Or make GameStop rally as, as they please, <laughs> or Dogecoin or whatever it is that's next on their on their plate. Um, but I think right. your point about not wanting to do something huge is uh, all the time is is very very important. It made me think about this case study I was reading about, I think it's a Japanese company um, that only makes zippers for jeans. That's their whole business. Mm-hmm. And the pain, it was exactly what you're describing. Like the business came about because the entrepreneur realized that zips for jeans were a problem because they would get stuck all the time. And they were, you know, they would reduce the overall quality feel of the jeans itself. Like you're paying a hundred something dollars for jeans. And next thing you know, you're zipping it up and down and it gets stuck and it's a pain point. And so they solved for it. And, you know, I was watching this case study and they were like, yeah, it's, it's every major jeans brand now uses their zips. It's a, mon- all a near monopoly. Right. And I went yeah. back to my jeans and I opened it up and I was like, oh yeah, there you go. This is the jeans. And it's a multi-million dollar business with, you know, low cost, high price, the re- reputable brand, which has connections with all the leading fashion retailers of the world. And it's doing phenomenally well, just because it solved the problem of a zip, right? It doesn't have to be something super crazy like that. Yeah, absolutely. Look at our homegrown uh, success story, um, Mark Hoare slash Atoms. I mean, yeah. uh, the, it was, I mean, it's amazing that no one thought of this, uh, you know, the the way they do the sizes. Uh, no uh, Nike, Adidas, none of them had thought about this. <laughs> none of the Adidas they, copied their box design recently, which I saw <laughs> on social media. Which you know, it's 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 something I, people get pissed off. I would get pissed if someone copied something of mine, but it is also flattering, right? It's that flattering. It's flattering. decided to copy. Uh, it's very flattering. It's very <laughs> and, and, and and amazing. What a story. Uh, and that really shows, I mean, I think that should show all of us uh, that there's, there's a lot of talent in, in our country. And if you just, if you have the drive and the, that mindset, don't, I mean, we've, we've just become too used to like looking towards government and what is the government going to do? If we're going to stay on that track, then things will take a very long time. So just try to do initiatives uh, as, you know, it doesn't matter even if you're like a fresh grad or if you're someone who's been working for 20, 30 years, 25 years in a bank, for instance. If, if you've, got, you've got so much experience, I mean, some of the best founders are those, uh, you know, I mean, average age of successful founders is, I think, in the 40s. And, and there's a reason for that as well, because, you know, insights, experiences, learnings, it takes time. Uh, you can be much bolder and brasher in your twenties, but uh, but you also need you know some of the lessons. So this is a thing for everyone. If you're like a uh, you know anyone in a Nestle or a bank or wherever, you know, if you've got ideas, try it. Why not? Speaking of keeping an open mind, um, last question to you. Like you know, I ask my guests about this frequently now is what are two or three books that you've recently read or read at any point in time that you know you think about as being deeply influential that people should pick up and read as well? So I think for my, I'll start off with, especially for my business, um, because it's a consumer facing business. I think for me, the gold standard in e-commerce has been Zappos. 
and uh, their uh, you know their founder just passed away very recently but he wrote this book delivering happiness um that was the title and it was you know it's it's just amazing because you you brought up amazon and how you know the harvard mba said you should just sell it to barnes and noble and be done with it i mean what are you doing selling books imagine this guy was selling shoes and shoes how do you sell sh- i mean i'm thinking now we're talking 2000 year 2000 how do you sell shoes online you had to go to foot locker or whatever place you had to put on the sneaker you have to put your shoe in that thing which has the scale on it and someone comes and puts the shoe you know on you and you're trying out are you flat stuff. footed are you what yeah. heel level etc right all sorts of things all sorts of thing and this guy goes and puts up uh, uh, he wasn't the one who started it but you know he he was the main investor and then he took it over and he you know he he had this philosophy about making the customer this we we hear about this line right? customer is always right customer is king but he was not he he just said make the customer feel so special that you know they are going to just keep on buying from you and so the whole book had a very huge impact on how i started looking at uh customer service and our customer centricity and and looking at small things um that may not be very scalable may not be even profitable in the short term but but would create this sense of um, you know customer loyalty that would be transcendent and that that can only be a great intangible for any business to have a, any consumer facing business to have uh, so i think that was for any um, i think it's just people in business should just read it because it's uh, it's just a great uh, life story and example of how uh, this guy you know looked at things from looked at consumers and customers um then i'd say um well i mean I, i i by the way i i do love to read i haven't been able to read that much but generally you know history current affairs all of these things are because i did my political science so I, I, geopolitics is also something that uh, i do enjoy but those books usually are you know they take little bit longer to read and i still haven't been able to transition myself to audible and these other things um so but the books i'll probably mention today are more to do with business or maybe even life so grit is another uh, good book i think uh, that resonated a lot with me because it it motivated me uh, so it's a harvard um, harvard um, psychology uh, professor angela duckworth i believe her name is so her book grit and basically it again you know the perseverance not giving up or staying the course you know big picture so that kind of resonated with me because there there have been times in this journey where i felt maybe i uh, am i should i should i like call it a day and walk away or is this an ego thing for me or what am i doing why am i still like doing this and when is the light or when is the tunnel going to end and the light going to show and all of that so this book is something i think all aspiring uh, entrepreneurs should read because entrepreneurship is not easy it is not sexy it's not uh, it's hard it's it, it requires grit it requires grit and that perseverance um and then you know i i really um, enjoy nasim nicholas taleb's books actually you know i'd say you know obviously black swan but the last two that i read you know skin in the game and the anti fragility i think those are again very it's got a very interesting style he's he's really he can ruffle a lot of feathers as well with his writings and his opinions that's on a daily basis on social media <laughs> yeah yeah so so but you know the again the, the so that's why i also brought this up the skin in the game thing you know i and you look at it from our you know how our macro civil service reforms and all of that goes on in our governance issues and a lot of it is stemming from people just not having skin in the game uh uh and uh, you know no accountability and as uh, dr nadeem would say perks and privileges so uh <laughs> but i digress but in business 
Um, I think, again, the point is that it, it, you need to have your skin in the game and you need to give it your best shot. And, and also, you, it ties in with that great thing, you know, that anti-fragile. Uh, you, you, you've got to have a thick skin. And um, and these so some of these books actually you know they they, they resonated and it's, especially certain periods of time certain things resonate more. Uh, there have been some fantastic books that you know one reads and uh, uh, but you know maybe you're in a in a in a state of mind that or maybe you're on a beach holiday and you're reading so they're not going to like really um, influence you like that because you're just very calm and relaxed. But but these are I would say some of the books that. Uh, resonated a lot with me and uh, I'd recommend. Yeah, I think the, the there are three fantastic recommendations. I have read Nassim's work. I haven't read the other two, but based on your description, there's a theme here that, you know, I would want to point out before we close. Um, it made me think about the Whole Foods experience. And again, Whole Foods, Austin-based company, they got flooded. Their first and flagship store got flooded. And there's a famous case study around what happened after. But based on what you've been talking about, they had invested in all these three things, right? They had customer centricity and customer happiness at the core of their value proposition. They had made decisions to invest in things that may not have been profitable, but enhanced the value proposition and psychological feel of the product for the customer. And they were anti-fragile. So when the store gets swept away by a flood, the community got together and bailed out the business. Right. And that bailing out can only happen because the entrepreneur had skin in the game, not only in the business level, but at the community level and had invested so much in terms of satisfying their customers that when he went under and his business was flooded, the community said, we'll step in. And that's something, again, a financial model or a set of assumptions may not be able to deliver, but it's the, the touch and feel of your business that you've done things a certain way that you have a loyal following that says, wait a minute, I'm gonna stand by you in your hour of need. And lo and behold, fast forward a few years from then, Amazon buys Whole Foods and everyone yeah. who's an early shareholder in that business, many of whom were part of that Austin-based community are multimillionaires, right? And that is how you should think about things. Yeah, no, no, it's a, I think that that is, that's pretty much sums it up, absolutely. Social there ownership. Are, yeah. yeah, exactly. And this has been a fascinating conversation. Uh, I know we've run over a bit, but uh, you know, couldn't help myself. It. I wish you all the best. I think we're definitely going to have you on again as 24-7 scales up and enters new cities, fully takes over Lahore. Um, but this is a fascinating project that you are on. And I think um, it is needed. We need that time of innovation in Pakistan's food supply chain and agriculture and consumer retail side. So Wishing you all the best. Keep it up and, you know, transform this sector. Thank you so much. I really had a, a ball of a time and uh, apologies for going over. But, uh, it, you know, I just it really was a lot of fun. Thank you so much. None, none needed. Thank you. Take care. Okay.